I had that in my head. I just needed to get it out. So it's, get it not out even, it's not even like it's daylight savings time or anything. Just Jack. It's just I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the twilight zone with all of this. Like Groundhog Day, Twilight Zone, all of the things. I don't know. Welcome to that Park Life Podcast, everybody. Welcome. We're still here. We hope you are too. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're not here, how do you hear us? I don't know. I don't is know. that like a is that a riddle that we've it's started? It's a riddle. Um, I am Greg and that's Beth. That's right. True. Yes. At least I think so. Correct. I'm not sure what day of the week it is, what month no. it is. I'm reading, I guess I'm looking at the date now. It's We're in May. So happy May. Yeah, I am going to be honest. Once we get past Tuesday, I'm literally like, I don't, I have to continue to look and see what day it is. <laughs> Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, blurry for me. Blurry. Then once Friday hit, like what Saturday hits, I'm like, okay, Saturday, I'm good. Then I know it's Sunday. Yes. And then I'm like, clearly I know what's Monday. Tuesday, I have like my staff meeting, virtual Zoom. And then after that, I'm like, I don't, now I don't know what day it is anymore. No. This week, I knew what day of the week every day was because I had to go into an oral surgeon, do a very minor surgery, but I'm a wimp and I did sedation. So I was out. It was just, I had to get one tooth extracted, right? Fine. Um, and Nicole, Was it an option? Was sedation an option? Yeah, they didn't. They could just do local. I mean, when I got my four wisdom teeth taken oh. out, I was awake. I didn't get. Oh, no. Um, no, thank you. Yes. By the way, if this is a trigger for anyone, I apologize. It's a trigger for me. So, and I'm talking about it and squirming in my own seat. Yeah. But um i did undergo some sedation and it was only it was quick it was like 30 minutes but when i woke up let's say i don't remember any i remember bits and pieces but that's the fun part nicole will tell you one day about me trying to buckle myself into the car because apparently i was just sitting there like just wasn't she didn't videotape you no that's the thing here's the thing okay i don't find that funny i don't like videos no one ever finds it funny about themselves it's funny to everyone no and when other when i like if i'm watching america's funnest videos or one of those types of shows or whatever and one of those comes on i fast forward because i feel so bad for Mm -hmm. that person because they can't control it yeah so you know do you know the best time to get your tooth extracted when you're dead no 2 30 get out of here get right out of here so I knew I it was Wednesday and I knew for sure. So it was the countdown to Wednesday and now I've counting yeah. every hour as to when I can resume normal eating on that side of my mouth. Yeah, I will say I remember when I had my um my wisdom teeth out. My mom, I didn't remember anything. I literally woke up in my bed. That was that's what freaked me out the most. <laughs> oh, no. Literally, you know, you go out and then I woke up in my bed and was like oh what like i had to go up two flights of stairs to get here. So what happened? Yeah. And my mom was like, "Oh, honey." She goes, First of all, I had to get you in the car. And she's like, then I had to get you out and had to call my aunt to come down because my aunt lived down the street from us. Mm-hmm. She was like, I had to call Sharon down here um, to help me get you up the steps because you kept saying you felt like you were going to throw up. <laughs> and so, <laughs> because I don't do well um, when I come out of anesthesia and stuff like that. Like, okay. it makes me feel sick. Yeah. Any kind of, anytime I've had anything like that, like, I've never actually thrown up. I just feel like I'm going it's, to. You're on the brink. Yes. Yeah. So she's like, so we're literally dragging you up the steps and you're going <laughs> like, <laughs> like you said you were going to throw up. So she was like, oh, I was glad to get you in your bed and just be done with oh you. Oh my gosh. No. I mean, luckily I didn't experience that. The The worst part about all this, you know, I can't mm. really eat like the food I want to eat right now. Not eating chicken nuggets. I'm not, I haven't eating. had chicken nuggets in days mm. and I have like a stitch on the side that I keep going to like move my tongue when I can't. But the worst part is I can't make a fart sound now because I'm not oh. supposed to like yeah. use those Mess types of muscles. Yeah, so I got to wait, guys. That's the worst. I'll do it for you. Thank you. Because <laughs> I can't do it on the, on the other side. Like I, I can't, I've never been able to do it on the left side. I've only ever been able to do it on the right side. Here, let me try on the left side. No, nope, I came up. out the right side, which now I have, now I have, very, to, that, now I have to go to the hospital. That was an old man fart. Yes. Mm. So anyway, we're yeah. doing a, a deep dive. Speaking yeah, of, we are. of teeth extraction, mm. we're doing uh, our we're finishing up our deep dive on the coasters of Walt Disney World. Doing two in Animal Kingdom, one in Hollywood Studios, and the math isn't adding up Studios. there. We're doing two in two in Hollywood Studios. Yes. Two in yeah. I was like, uh, I don't even know because you know I don't even know what day it is. So that how would I know correct. about roller coasters at Disney? What? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Let's start in Hollywood Studios. We've got Slinky Dog Dash and Rock and Roller Coaster. Let's start with Rock and Roller Coaster since it's been around a little a little longer than Slinky let's Dog. Let's do it. You know me. I got lots of notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I want to say I got all of my information from Wikipedia, which I love to do, and the Yesterworld YouTube channel, which oh. is great. You should check it out. They have a lot of historic, like history stuff on there. Okay, so we're going to start this with the name of the attraction because I always get it wrong. 
Okay. It's the Rock and Roller Coaster starring Aerosmith. Full yes. name. That's the full name. Um, and I always like to start with what Disney says about it. So on the Disney website, it says, race along the darkened freeways of Los Angeles in a super stretch limo to the rockin' tunes of Aerosmith. Live life in the fast lane. Inside their Hollywood music studio, legendary rock band Aerosmith is wrapping up a recording session. When their manager tells them they're late for a concert across town, the band invites you to ride along. Hop into their gleaming limousine and speed off into the night as Aerosmith's hard rock harmonies fill the air. Buckle up before zooming through the city on this rollercoaster-styled attraction. Do you like my voice so far? I do. I don't remember there being a seatbelt to buckle up with. I don't know. I'm not done. Rock (laughs) this way. Speed through iconic Hollywood landmarks. Maneuver past traffic jams and swoop into three thrilling inversions. Two two rollover loops and one corkscrew as the wind races across your face. (laughs) (laughs) Will you make it to the year's biggest concert in time? state-of-the-art sound there's more oh my gosh oh my i didn't gosh. think it was the song it says state-of-the-art sound your super stretch limo is decked out with a 125 speaker 24 subwoofer 32,000 watt audio system each vehicle broadcasts different aerosmith hit songs including walk this way dude looks like a lady sweet emotion and back in the saddle which no one ever knew because it was on a horrible record the classic love in an elevator was rewritten as love in a roller coaster specifically for this rocktastic attraction my gosh rocktastic <laughs> um can we also say that i was like not that it wasn't that long ago that i finally realized that it was love in a roller coaster <laughs> not at the very end i was like what yeah. how did i miss that Literally, Doug and I were like, oh, they changed it. But I'm like, mm, no, it's been that day since day one. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Sorry, I wasn't. I lo- Don't you love how I start and then I go into my voice? Yes. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to be that long. Sorry. Um, okay, that's what she said. Origin story. 1970s and 80s. There was a lot of complaints that there was lack of thriller rides um, for older people in the park. Mm-hmm. So this is like a common thing with, Dis- with Disney when things started opening. You know, because there's other theme parks that are like building all these other attractions like Six Flags and stuff. So they were like, hello, Disney needs to do more things for older people. Yeah. Um, so Imagineers agreed. And in the early 90s, they brought on a slew of new projects that they were going to do to basically fill this gap. So three of the main ones uh, that they came up with at the time was the Tower of Terror, Alien Encounter, and then the Rock and Roller Coaster. So the um, when the park opened, the Sunset Boulevard like was not part of MGM like when it first opened, right? So the um, expansion opened in 1994. That's where the Tower of Terror was built. So down that road, like, you know, obviously down Sunset where the Tower of Terror was. That was all in 94. Um, and then they had a space cut out that was intended for the rock and roller coaster. So it was always, so like, it was from day one, they said it was going to be a rock and roll themed roller coaster. They just didn't know um, which band that they were going to do it. And so this is where I was like, oh my gosh, deep dive here. So the original intention was for the Rolling Stones. I did know that. They wanted to be the focal band, but uh, the Rolling Stones came back and they were like, we want $10 million a year and we're only going to give you six songs. So Disney was like, yeah, no. we can't like <laughs> no way. So they decided to go ahead and like move forward with building the coaster because they were basically like, well, OK, we're obviously we're still doing this project, which you think they would have like secured a band before they yeah. did it. But either way, they were like, I think they just had the thought process probably. I'm speculating here that like they, they would knew they would probably find someone. Yeah. And or if they didn't, it could just be a rock and roll like you know, all around thing. Construction started in February of 98 for the roller coaster. Over five months um, after that, Disney kept looking for a band. So U2 was the second choice, but U2 was like not interested at all because it's Bono and he's like, I don't have to do that. (laughs) Obviously Bono didn't need to. Uh, Then Kiss. So Kiss was also approached and they were another band that wanted way too much money. So they were just like, okay, we can't do it. So then finally they went to Aerosmith. I was like, how bad does Aerosmith like feel knowing that they were like the fourth choice? Um, they were already in business with Disney because they were doing the song for Armageddon. Oh. So it made more sense for them to bring them in. They were still very popular. Um, I think around the time that they had approached them, their album that they had just like let out sold like 20 million records. Okay, so, so it's a good timing. Yeah, so they weren't like this old like dried up band, obviously. Everybody still lives there. Like they are right. now you're saying? Is that what you're implying? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, so Disney originally wanted to wait until Armageddon to come out because they wanted to see how popular it was, like, I guess, before they moved forward. But the track and everything else was already done on the ride. So they just they went forward with it. They approached uh, the band. Steven Tyler loved the idea. And obviously they were significantly cheaper um, like to go with. So 
basically they put the ride together hmm. cast they had a cast member preview um like in a soft opening was held in june of 1999 and then the grand opening of the ride took place on july 29th of 1999 this i did not know or i don't remember that happened it had it was a special invitation only party that they did so aerosmith was obviously the guest of honors and you had to win like tickets basically so winners were taken to the uh, mgm studios and stretch limousines they were treated to an all-you-can-eat buffet and bar and then after they got to see a special performance uh, it says by painter denny Denny Dent winners got the chance to ride the roller coaster with one of the Aerosmith band members. Wow. Um, at the exit of the ride outside of the gift shop gift shop, there hangs a picture from the special event. So, and then it said the paintings Denny Dent made uh, the five band members hang in various employee office locations on Walt Disney world property. Okay. Um, and then I think I did like see somewhere that said basically at least Steven Tyler and Joe, um, Joe Perry, right. And that his name. Yes. Gosh, I don't like I'm getting old. <laughs> they wrote it like 12 times before they left. So they just like loved the ride. Didn't vomit. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of the origin story. Let's get into some specs. Um, the manufacturer of this ride was Vicoma. Okay. I don't know if that's how you say it, but those are the people that put it together. Uh, this roller coaster uses linear motor electromagnetic technology for acceleration. It accelerates from zero to 57 uh, miles per hour in 2.8 seconds. So that's why you feel like you you left your stomach behind you. Yeah, when like you, first you did some off. time traveling. Yep. Um, this is riders experience up to 5Gs and travel through three inversions, which include half vertical loops, half corkscrews, and a sea serpent roll. And obviously the 5Gs things, that's where they get the 5G records from mm -hmm. the name. That's like the name of the studio. The height of this roller coaster is 80 feet. The length is 3,403 feet. It goes up to 57 miles per hour. The ride is one minute and 22 seconds. It has a capacity for 1,800 riders per hour. Okay. So there's five trains with six cars, and riders are arranged two across in two rows for a total of 24 riders per train. Does that make sense? Yeah, there are six cars of four. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so 24 total in each, like, you know, train. The music equipment in the pre-show area was almost all donated from the band exclusively when they put that together. Hmm. Walt Disney Imagineers worked with Aerosmith to produce special a special soundtrack for the roller coaster. So each train features different songs containing some new lyrics written specifically for the attraction, which we've already talked about. Uh, it featured recorded music and appearances from Aerosmith. So like they have, you know, they have the recorded part in the pre-show. And then at the end, you're supposed to be like making it to the encore of the show. Right. So that's like why it's like always kind of like the end of the concert. Gotcha. Um, when you see those videos that are played. The band chose eight songs originally. So their thing was, we're going to give you eight songs to use. Their only request was that one of the songs had to be from their newest album, which was Nine Lives, which the Nine Lives album didn't do great. So Whoops. they wanted, yeah, so they wanted one of the tracks to be from that. Um, there are license plates and songs heard on each car. I'm going to list them real quick. So the license plate on one of them, it says one it says one QK limo. One quick limo, I assume. Okay, sorry. Yeah, one. I was like, why can't I put this together? Um, that one plays Nine Lives. The You Go Babe one <laughs> is Love in an Elevator, which roller coaster. And they, that one also plays Walk This Way. There's one that says Buh Bye on the uh, license plate, like B-U-H-B-Y-E. And uh, that one plays Young Lust, Fine, and Love in an Elevator. Um, there's Hate Traffic is another one. It's like h eight. <laughs> T-R-F-F-C, so hate traffic. That one plays back in the saddle and dude looks like a lady. And then there is one that says too fast for you. These are like so cheesy. Yes. Um, that one plays sweet emotion. It says live as featured in a little south of sanity. So that one's like a live track. And then there is a six limo in the fleet that has no license plate and it is always in refurbishment, if you will. These license plates remind me of like what people would do to create <laughs> screen names like yeah, way back in AOL time. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Too fast for you. And of course, it's and everyone has to like, yeah, everyone has to figure it out. Yes. Uh, the vehicles are rotated in and out of use after a period of many thousands of laps around the track. However, the maintenance teams will switch out the plates and add the proper song to the new new vehicle every time a rotation is made. So basically, like those songs will follow uh, those license plates, but those can be in different trains. Gotcha. At any time, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, the ride formerly featured... Uncle Joe Benson, a well-known Los Angeles rock radio DJ, is the station's DJ Bill St. James, um, who was the former host of ABC's radio, ABC Radio's Flashback. 
Um, and then it says he currently provides his own voice as the DJ of LA's classic rock station. I love that guy's voice. <laughs> it's like a deep, like DJ voice. In each train, just as Disney said, in each train, there's a total of 120 speakers. There are seven speakers per seat, including one subwoofer under this woofer. Yeah, I like, I like the way you say sorry. that. There are seven speakers per seat, including one subwoofer under the seat um, and six located in the headrest. There are 820 speakers located in the ride's show building and launch area, not including the train. Hmm. This makes a total of about 900 speakers in the attraction. What? Wow. Just, I lot. didn't know that there were, I mean, obviously I know there are speakers in the seat that you're in because you can hear the music playing in your ears, but I never really yeah. thought to see how much bass was coming out of that thing. If, if the, as you say, the subwoofer yeah. didn't realize they were in the seat. The woofers, gold golfers. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, how it's changed. I, I saw a thing. It said that it was sponsored by Haynes from 2008 until yeah. 2018. But I'm like, so did they have a sponsor before that? Or did Haynes just say like, Hey, we want to pay for stuff. We want to give know. people new underwear after they soil it on your ride. <laughs> I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just couldn't find anything about other sponsors on there. So Haynes, way to go. 2008 <laughs> to 2018. Um, the pre-show has changed from when the attraction first opened. So currently a band member, uh, Joe Perry, would ask Chris to grab my black Les Paul. A Disney cast member in the pre-show would then pick up and remove a black guitar signed by Joe Perry from the set. Which I was like, oh, I've never, mm-hmm. don't ever remember that. Um, the script uses the unisex name Chris so that either a male or a female could play the part. Although not used as often as when the writers first opened, the position is still used from time to time. So generally, if the attraction is overstaffed. Um, the film also includes a roadie. So a roadie saying like, hey, Joe, I'll get it for you as a backup in the event that a cast member is not available for the part. Hmm. Which that's pretty much what happens every time. I now. think it's every time. Now, yeah. Yeah. In 2007, the queue was modified to accommodate single riders in addition to the fast pass line. On April 19th, 2016, the interactive posters were added to the queue. So the posters, nor- they used to just display um, like bands and stuff, like yep. albums. Um, I saw a picture where one was like Backstreet Boys and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, but they updated them to be digital. So now they have like personal messages that they have to guests and they use, it uses the chip in your magic band. Yep. So that's why a lot of times when you're standing in there, it'll be like people's names in the posters. Yeah. Um, which is kind of fun because you're like looking around waiting to see if your name's going to pop up in one. And then the only other change is in 2016, someone complained that Steven Tyler was making a hand gesture that was inappropriate in the video, which he's not. It's just how he like moves his hands all the time. And so they made them go in and digitally change it. And now if you look closely, it just looks like he has an extra finger. Yeah, because his one finger was down and they put it yeah. so that the finger still looks up. So if you look at it, he has the finger is both going up and down at the and same down. time. But I'm just like, it's so stupid. Like, I'm sorry. Those are just the types of things that make me so mad. I'm like, <laughs> people are just dumb. Like, you can make any hand gesture and it could be dirty. So it's like, it was not intended to be that way. And <laughs> as just, Beth is saying that, I'm giving her the finger with both hands. I can make any hand gesture I, I want. I'm not looking at you because I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Just yes. irritating. And if you like ever seen Steven Tyler and anything else, like he moves his hands that way. Like he just moves his hands where it's like Jack Sparrow. So those were the changes. And then uh, you want to hear some other cool facts. There are a lot of hidden Mickeys on this one. So hmm. I was reading an article that like pointed out in the attractions exterior. There's a part of hidden Mickeys on Steven Tyler's shirt on the poster in the attractions exterior. Uh, Joe Perry's medallion on the poster in the attraction um, is also a hidden Mickey. And then in the line queue, there's two in the tile mosaics in the rotunda before the recording studio near their marble doors. And in the small exhibit on the recording history. Because um, as you walk, you know, after you walk through that certain part of the room in the regular line queue, there's like old equipment, like old uh, microphones and stuff. Yeah. There's a hidden Mickey in that. Um, the carpet of Studio C has a pattern of hidden Mickeys on it. I didn't know that. On a small chalkboard in the bottom right corner of the sound room, there's a hidden Mickey on the ground formed by three coils of wires in the sound room. There's Hmm. a hidden Mickey. I think I've noticed that one before. After leaving the pre-show to the right before exiting to the ride area, that's where that one is Um, in the sound room. Like if you just look on the floor, it's in there. On each limo's license plates in place of each expiration date, there's a hidden Mickey. Okay. I think I've seen that. Yeah. And then it says on the track, one found on a yellow sign behind a red limo, two on the ground 
No, that's on the ride. I'm gonna miss it. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, I haven't. I don't think I've ever paid attention that enough to uh, enough to that. I'm too busy waiting to go through the big donut the whole time to yeah. figure out where the Mickey's are. Yeah, and then there were a couple of sources that said uh, that the area the attraction was built on just was like a cast member parking lot before. Yeah, I believe that because where it is now, I mean, there's still a road right there. I've yeah. been I've been back there quite a bit, and uh, you can tell it just. I mean, there's still there's actually a little parking lot. So when you're in the launch, and then when you come back, right outside that building is a parking lot, and that's where cast members. It's one of the functions of that parking lot is where guests are getting brought into the park if they're with a VIP tour guide. Ah, okay. There is two pieces of sound that I want to make sure you play. One you requested. So this is the original. It's part of the original advertisement for a rock and roller coaster now this was in the you said this opened in 99 right yes july of so 99 and we did cut out you did say we cut out like the beginning of the um yeah i mean it's a 30 second spot mm-hmm. and the kid is like getting into a limousine like, and then he sits down yeah. and like the over the shoulder restraint comes down but if you just heard that you wouldn't know what what's actually happening but right. this is the rest of it with a little bit of quote generic rock music playing in the background and then obviously the spiel for the riot so here's a, a bit of that commercial from 1999 <laughs> Coaster starring Aerosmith, now jamming at the Disney MGM Studios. <laughs> you need that little guitar riff at the end there. So I did do my voice right, is what you're saying. Pretty much, yes. Do you think it's <laughs> weird, and I'm sure this is part of the negotiation, or, or maybe it wasn't, but at no point are they playing Aerosmith music. What do you mean? In that oh, commercial. In the commercial, yeah. I yeah. think that was... Well, part of me was like, isn't that instrumental? That's just instrumental in one of their songs? I, I don't know. Could, I don't know. That just sounded like they didn't a, want to have to pay. It could they be. They probably just didn't want to have to pay the rights to use it in the commercial. So that's probably the reason. But you know, from I'm a sure it's the money. Follow the money trail. Greg. I mean, you know, if you look at it from not that perspective, which is like the business minded. But if you think just as a fan or as a person watching the commercial, you'd sit there like that wasn't even Aerosmith music, and it's an Aerosmith run. Right. <laughs> Figure it yeah. out. Just pay for it. So uh, one other thing that I want to make sure I play, and I don't know if anyone else does this and if they're a psychopath like me, but sometimes if like there's a countdown or if I have to do something I don't want to do, I'll count it down in my head. Mm. But the sound of the countdown that I hear in my head is the same countdown that they do right before they launch you at the start of the ride. And if you do, yeah, yeah that. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, here's that. So at this point you're in the, okay. you're, you're in your stretch limo, right? And you're in that Waiting. spot where the sign up above you is like telling, you know, traffic ahead, yeah, traffic jam, right? Get ready to step on it or whatever. And then they do a countdown before you launch off. So this is that countdown. That wasn't me screaming. And uh, that's what Seven I think North about. Yes. <laughs> Seven off my train. Yeah. And uh, that's it. Okay. That countdown is always in my head when I have to count down something in my head. Why? That's they don't weird, even right? get to one. It's like, it's such a tease. It's like two. <laughs> you're gone. You're yes. gone. You can hear they the don't... wind in the microphone of that yes. recording. And you don't always do the countdown. They have like a, a rotation of sound. And one of them is just like, right. they talk about how they're going to jam it. And there's like music playing. You see the re- the light go from red to green. And I get like so ter- basically terrified every yeah. single time. It's hard to like, you know, we like to do funny photos in that one. And so yeah. it's hard because you have to kind of like hold what you're doing. And then you're like, no, I have to catch my breath yes. because I just totally lost it. Like I you, have, can't, you don't have time to react to it. I don't think I've ever truly been able to do a photo on that ride successfully because that first part gets me. I, I haven't done yeah. it in a while, though, but when I was well, able to do it. But if you think about it, it's like it launches you out, right? So you have that whole thing going on. And then they flash you in the face yes. like like you're going to have an epileptic seizure. <laughs> like. It's like if you can get through those two things, you'll be fine. The you'll rest be of the fine. you won't even realize you're going upside down at that point. Yeah, yeah. Let's stay in What's Hollywood that? Studios, and it's a much more tame roller coaster. Look, okay, I will let you say Hollywood Studios. I was in MGM, just yes. so people know that. Correct, because yours at least debuted. <laughs> now we're moving to Hollywood. We're Studios. Fl- uh, flashing forward to mm-hmm. 2018, and I happened to be there. The day this attraction soft opened. I didn't dare go the day it actually yeah. opened because you're not going to catch me in a crowd that large. But right. I happened to be there. It was one of my first times I was there for a soft open for a land or an attraction or really anything that I could think yeah. of. So it was kind of a cool thing. But um, again, let's start with what Disney says about this attraction. I'm what, I run a really good accent, Greg. I don't have one. And this one doesn't really lend itself to it because it's not a radio okay. DJ or anything. You can do a kind of funny like, 
uh, what's his name? <laughs> I don't Why know. Why can't I think of his Randy Newman? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I thought you were doing maybe Forrest Gump, which by the way I've never seen. So, according to um, okay, hold on, what? I've never seen it, and I know that they're putting it on TV. Uh, I think this weekend, but okay. That's like one of those you have to see that. Look, I'm just gonna I'm stopping the podcast. Okay. You have to see that one, okay? Promise me, make a promise to me. I have not seen Forrest Gump. I have not seen the Titanic. The Titanic, as we call it. Yes. I have not seen lots of other of those classic movies. I don't really care. Who cares? So according to Disney, Slinky Dog Dash is about the following. Andy's assembled his mega coaster play kit and Slinky Dog is taking you on a wild ride. Mm. Slinky Dog's springy coils stretch to the limit as you bend around curves, zoom up hills, and drop back down. They kind of got a little less creative with the drop back down. <laughs> they were like, and you just come back down, and whatever. You, you, what just, you let gravity take over. You know they thought about that forever, and they were like, whatever, Karen, just yeah. put drop back down in it. Yes, it was uh, bend around curves, zoom up the hills, and the clock ticked to 5 o'clock. Oh, drop back down, boom, got to go, right <laughs> clock out. Right down. And uh, that's the official thing. And Andy has also left out some of his toys for us. For <gasps> us. Isn't... We get to play with them as they talk to each other. Isn't he so generous? Again, this opened in 2018, officially on the 30th of June, but a soft opening on June 29th, the day before. This coaster track was created by Mac Rides. They have one other track with Disney, which happens to be out in Disney's California Adventure with Goofy's Sky School, which is closer to Primeval World than it is to this attraction. But It's not like the Barnstormer? No. Nope. Oh, interesting. It's more of a mousetrap style thing like Primeval death, World, which we'll talk about later trap. on. You mean yeah. death trap? Yes. Okay. I can't wait to talk about that one, by the way. So uh, the train... This so the ride vehicle here is an elongated Slinky Dog, duh, that's the name, Slinky Dog Dash, with nine rows of two for a total of 18 riders. Mm-hmm. There are three ride vehicles in rotation with a top speed of 40 miles per hour, although I can't think of when you're actually going 40 miles per hour, maybe on the on the drop somewhere. It's like fling you up when you're like at the part where you stop and you like get flung could be. forward. That could be when but... it's 40. That's, I think that's got to be it because it's not really, yeah. it's not a particularly fast ride, but it is a family coaster. The height Ooh. requirement's only 38 inches. The ride duration is two minutes and 30 seconds. There is a lot going on with the queue here that I want to talk about. A lot of hidden stuff, a lot of theming. So that might be the gem of this ride, for me anyway, is if you look around what's going on both in the queue and also around the track. So let's talk about that because there's a lot of, I guess, if you will, some Easter eggs for Toy Story and maybe Pixar as a whole, but specifically Toy Story, thus it being in. Toy Story Land. The queue itself looks like Andy constructed it using the box of the Mega Coaster Play Kit. So that's like the theme mm-hmm. of this attraction is that right. he built this roller coaster in his backyard for the toys to play with. Incredible. Around the track and around the queue, you can see all kinds of toys. Some of them, the name brand toys, because you know how it is. They don't always use the name yep. brands for things, but they kind of pulled out all the stops here because you can see the Jenga, Tinker Toys. A Did I say Tinka Toys? Like I just... I no, f- I heard Tinker Toys. Okay, I thought in my head I said uh, like full um, New York. They have the big Elmer's glue bottle, Crayola crayons, and blocks and stuff. Keep an eye out for Andy's pink clipboard. It's got a bunch of stickers on it, including a Pizza Planet sticker and a mm-hmm. Triple R Ranch sticker, which refers to a lot of things, but mostly there's a shirt that Andy is wearing in a scene from Toy Story, but it also refers to a ranch that I guess Walt used to visit as a kid, and it was the inspiration for, oh, cool. Cool. for crap. The height stick outside the queue's entrance looks like a game piece you'd use to move around the board, mm-hmm. which I know, like, I've been trying to pay attention now to the height sticks because we mentioned in the last episode for the one outside of Big Thunder Mountain, it's old train track that was, like, bent right. and shaped to look like it. So something right. to look for if you go onto a ride to see what the height stick actually is. Right after you enter the queue, uh, turn around and look up. The back of the standby wait time sign is not just that. It's actually a dog tag. And it says Buster on it with the address of 234 Elm Street. So that helps solve a little bit of mystery, if you will, because when the land opened or as the land was under construction, people were trying to figure out where in the Toy Story timeline is Toy Story Land, mm-hmm. right? Like this is before or after certain events. But because the dog tag there says Buster, Buster was the dog that they got at the end of the movie. And the address of 234 Elm Street was their address once they moved in Toy Story 2. So this officially takes place after Toy Story 2 existed. That's where Freddy Krueger lives. 
on Elm Street. Um, that does explain why we don't have the threat of running into Sid and any of his evil toys. Because at this point, the backyard isn't next door, next door to Sid. We've moved past that. We have moved past it. Um, once you're on the ride, and this is before the launch sequence, so like, what we to make that right-hand turn? Look quickly while you're kind of waiting there, if you can. You can see T-Rex's original box, so the box that the toy would have come in mm-hmm. at the time. Um, there's a sticker on it that has Al's toy barn on it, as well as some numbers. Those numbers are 11, 22, and then the price, $19.95. That refers to November 22nd, 95, the day that Toy Story, the movie, was released in the theaters. Yeah, there is like details galore in here. Galore, yeah. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about here. So a little more detail on T-Rex's box. You may remember in the movie when they're kind of talking about maybe where they came from and stuff. T-Rex throws out a line about how he's from Mattel, but he was originally from a smaller company that was purchased in a leveraged buyout, which I'm sure like goes right over kids' heads when they're talking right. about that. But yeah. it's something he mentions. On the box at this attraction, you can actually see the original company name, which is Borealis. And then yeah. on that box, it also says they manufactured ma- manufactured a Triceratops toy, which you could speculate is Trixie right. from right. the third God, Toy I Story movie. Love Trixie. Yeah, <laughs> her voice especially is like my favorite. Can you do an impression of Trixie? Oh no, I can't do it. Okay, yeah, I can't. Neither can I. It turns out. Um, at the end of the attraction, there's a book above Wheezy. You know, Wheezy is singing, and I think this is. I read Wheezy. this is the only audio animatronic of Wheezy singing. Yeah. So yeah. And uh, but anyway, above him is a book with the title "Partly Cloudy." That is a Pixar short that was originally shown before the Up movie in theaters and it actually won some awards yeah um also in the unload station if you find a barcode on the box you're basically like you can't miss it it's like the box is like the structure of the of the area and um keep your eyes on that because there's a bunch of stuff going on some things of note there are some numbers on the barcode for that box those numbers are two three one nine eight six which is february 3rd 1986 which is when pixar was founded yeah, and then right below that, it's uh, there's a little note on there to say that that toy that the box came in was made in Emeryville, California, but Emeryville is where the current location of the Pixar headquarters is. So there's just stuff I everywhere. Think it's better than they're like, let's put like a, so much detail so in much that detail. no one will ever figure it out. I think it's just too that they have teams working on different things, and they everybody wants to put their stamp on something. So it's like, well, let's do this, and then you get a collection of stamps, basically. Yeah, and then a lot of people, and then people start figuring it out, or it's like, oh yeah, that's like my thing. It's basically like carving your name into a tree. Yeah, you know, like it's there forever. You know, it's there you know who like you know the two names are on yeah it. exactly so something so. to do while you're waiting on that very long uncovered queue parts of the mm-hmm. queue are covered but it's still outdoors if you will and they have fans which are blowing that hot humidity air right into your face <laughs> it's like your child breathing into your face yes it's it's really while while your children are breathing into yes, your face <laughs> and hanging all over you as they do yeah. Um, but really, so you have something to do if you want while you're walking around the queue. Just take a look around because there's there's just stuff everywhere. I mean, those are just the highlights. There are a well, bunch more it, things. The way that they've scaled things is just crazy. Like everything is scaled perfectly. Yes. Um, so obviously, you know, like we're the toys, mm-hmm. right? In this whole adventure. And so just seeing how everything, you know, they had to blow everything up. And it's like really good quality things. And it legitimately just looks like. They honey, I shrunk the kids. Yes. All these things. Yeah, even with the big fence in the backyard and stuff like it's cool. Yeah, and I, like pencils and I mean it's just even um I mean in the same thing over at Toy Story Mania, it's like insane the details mm-hmm. of the stuff in there. You're like, this is so like even the what you call it? What's the eye thing that I can't think of? Like the viewfinder. The viewfinder, yes. like wheels, like like how did they do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it is so crazy how they've done that. And I like the views you get from this roller coaster as well. So obviously, as you're, I mentioned some things you can see, but if you're looking out toward the general Toy Story land while you're on this attraction, you can see Andy's footprints, which you can see while you're walking, but you get yeah. an aerial view and it really just continues to bring that image to mind that yeah. you really are in Andy's backyard. Andy's backyard. There was a see, about Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> you can see Galaxy's Edge. You can see like, a lot. The way you can see what like progress they were actually making when they were building it because only one, I never... Yeah. Well, and the first time we saw it, we were like, oh, yeah. like we were like, enough of this roller coaster. Look over there. Yes. <laughs> Especially as you're approaching. It's right when you go over that big hill where you start to do the bunny hill thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There haven't been any significant changes to this attraction. 
the one thing that really has happened since it debuted in 2018 was that in 2019, the tails on the back of the train, so the back of the coasters were removed, the spring slinky tail. Oh, I never noticed that. They were brought back three months later in April. So now, if you didn't know they were gone for three months, you would have never known. Probably not. Most of the cool facts that are out there are already mentioned. It's like basically yeah. it's the Easter eggs of the attraction. But I do want to make sure I mention one thing about the ride because somehow this is my takeaway for the entire Slinky Dog Dash experience. And that is when you're in the loading area. And just like most loading areas, there's a safety spiel. Sometimes it's heavily themed. It's a character. Sometimes it's just an announcer voice or it's the cast member telling you to do something. Fine. Yeah. So there is the normal version of the, you know, keep all arms, hands, and legs, whatever. Okay, fine. Secure your loose belongings. And he actually right. says this is the wild, the wildest ride in Andy's backyard, which is kind yeah. of funny. Instead yeah. of like the wildest ride in the wilderness, like from Big Thunder Mountain, which we talked about the last time we did this deep dive. But in this attraction, they decided to have the character do it in Spanish. Yeah. And it's not great Spanish. And you could even argue that it's almost like he doesn't care enough to learn Spanish or he's like mocking a Spanish accent. No, he's basically how all Southerners sound like when they're trying to speak Spanish. Yes. So here's just a little clip of that, of the safety spiel in very, very loose, like sixth grade when you first, seventh grade, when you first start to take a second language, that's this. Okay. The heck, Because <laughs> I was trying to find what is his name. It's the I can't believe I can't think of his name. I know that I know who it is. I just don't know what his it was name is. Sean's dad from Boy Meets World. Blake Clark is his name. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So the voice of that is Blake Clark. Um, I, I I always think of Waterboy. Yes. Because he was like the guy in Waterboy that couldn't. He's like, was, or no, sorry, Joe Dirt and Joe Dirt. And where Joe Dirt's like, you like to see homos naked? And he's like, no, man, home where you make it. <laughs> <laughs> so I always think when I like hear his voice. I always think I of think him as him. I want to say it was Harry, the um, hardware store owner from Home Improvement. Oh my gosh. Love it. Blake Clark. Good dude. He's done a lot of stuff. We'll travel over to the Animal Kingdom. Here we go into the Animal Kingdom. I don't know. I just made that up. I was ready to to roll with it, too. I was going to start snapping with you. Oh, all right. So we're doing Expedition Everest, Legend of the Forbidden Mountain. I'm going to tell you my sources first. Wikipedia, as always, Theme Park History YouTube channel. Another great one to look at when you're trying to get some deets. Um, Let's start with what Disney says. How about that? Mm Mm-hmm. So it says, careen through icy Himalayan peaks on a speeding train while avoiding the clutches of the mythic Yeti. Yeti or not, here he comes. No. Wander into a Tibetan village at the base of Mount Everest and board a train to top of the world. Beware, some say a legendary snow monster lives deep in the mountain. After a steep ascent, your train picks up speed and races into the darkness without warning. A broken and twisted track appears in front of you. Brace yourself again, it says it again, as you plummet backward into total darkness. Inside the cavern, the mythical tale comes true. As you see the shadow of a massive growling beast, race to escape the cursed mountain before the Yeti claims another expedition. Oh. Don't mind me, my spoon fell up. I was eating some applesauce. (laughs) Oh, man, I thought you were giving me some sound effects. Okay, great. Um, so I'm going to kind of take you back a little bit. So when yes. they put together Disney's animal kingdom, they had an idea for a land called beastly kingdom. Um, that was alongside of dino land. And then in order to stay within the park's budget for the opening, they had to pick between the two. So they ended up picking dino land to be done first. And beastly kingdom was supposed to be, um, like more around mythical creatures, mm-hmm. right? So like dragons and stuff. Yeah. Because dino land was built first a lot of the creative team for Beastly Kingdom had left and gone to Universal. And the, that was the team that essentially took those ideas and they made them into Islands of Adventure. So that's why huh. there is, like, a lot of people don't realize how many people, like, that built Islands of Adventure and that, like, did the Universal stuff. It's because they used to be, like, Disney Imagineers and Disney, like, creative people. Traders. So, um, I know. So a lot, of, but that's why it's so good because it's like, I mean, it's a nod. It's almost like, yeah, like their competition at Disney, but it's like, well, but these are people that started with you. Yep. So Beastly Kingdom, for like a variety of reasons, was just never built. 
Um, but again, they knew that they needed like an e-ticket attraction to help boost the popularity of the park. Because mm-hmm. um, what happened was because they had um, so many animals and stuff involved, they didn't realize how expensive the upkeep of all the animals and stuff was like we're going to be. Hmm. That's why they kind of had to like cut some budget stuff. Okay. Because it's expensive to take care of, you know, wild animals. Got to feed those giraffes. You got to feed them, yo. Um, so I lost where I was in my notes. Here we go. On April 22nd, 2003, and in celebration of Animal Kingdom's fifth anniversary, Disney finally announced that they'd be building a new roller coaster, Expedition Everest. Um, and this was going to be in the Asia portion of the park. Taking inspiration for the Matterhorn in Disneyland, that's when they decided to do like a new roller coaster in the Himalayan mountains of Asia. Um, kind of like the Abominable Snowman in the Mat- Matterhorn. The new attraction would feature the Yeti, which is just another version of basically the Abominable Snowman. Mm-hmm. It's like the same thing. The Yeti, who has long been rumored to live within the mountains. Since most people were familiar with Mount Everest, which is the tallest peak in the world, Imagineers wanted to base the attraction on that famous summit. So due to Mount Everest's lack, uh, lack of distinctive shape, Imagineer Joe Rohde, so everybody knows Joe Rohde, like this is his thing. He did Everest, this ride. Um, he chose to create a mountain range. Uh, with Everest kind of in the background. So the attraction itself would instead take place in the Forbidden Mountain. So the idea is that, like, you can see Everest in the background. You're on a different mountain that's, like, forbidden. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, In order to design an authentic authentic attraction, Imagineers actually flew to Nepal, Tibet, and China in order to get a feel for the culture and architecture of the area. There's lots of – there are a lot of videos and stuff where Joe already talks about this, like, that they traveled over to get information, and they wanted to, like, actually get real – stuff like yes. real props and things for the attraction so a lot of research went into it they a lot of research went into the creation of the yeti for the attraction they wanted to create a plausible creature they studied various primates um, because they wanted to make sure that they got his movements down and they brought back over like eight thousand props from their wow. travels and you know a lot of those obviously are in the attraction now but i'm like can you imagine them traveling back with like all of these things like yeah we're gonna ship it back just ship it back it's like yeah. thousands of things <laughs> Um, so the backstory like of the actual attraction is this expedition Everest takes place inside the fictional forbidden mountain. One of the seven peaks of the Himalayas at the front, um, sorry, at the foot of the mountain lies the village of Sirka Zong. In previous time, the village's economy was supported by a local tea plantation. When guests see the village, however, they will notice that the plantation has been boarded up and the trains, which once transported the tea have stopped running. Although the cause of the closure is not known, local villagers believe that the Yeti has stopped the trade. And they have built various monuments to the creature as an attempt to pacify it. So long after the tea trade had left the area, Norbu and Bob refurbished the buildings to fit their new business, Himalayans Escape, tours and expeditions. Uh, the new company took guests into the Himalayan mountains for adventures and thrills. So that's like the story of the ride. Hmm. Um, I had never like actually paid attention to like the actual storyline. No, um, me neither. Yeah, and then in the post-show, it says, after unloading from the train, guests enter the Zerkazong Bazaar. The shop is themed to look like a tourist store. Guests can buy handcrafted items as well as Expedition Everest merchandise. Exiting the shops, guests can wander around a large courtyard, which features Yeti shrines and even a dry riverbed. The soft opening was January of 2006, and then the opening date was actually April 7th. It's a long, soft opening. Yeah, I was like, wow, they did like a long test run, I guess, of everything. When they uh, had their opening ceremony, uh, CEO Bob Iger was there and Jay Rasulo, who was the chairman of Disney Parks and Resorts. You want to talk about construction? Are you ready? <laughs> yes. I'm laughing go. at your enthusiasm for you. You want to talk about some construction? construction. <laughs> Where's my sound effect? Jeez. I didn't know you were going to launch into it. Okay. Guess how much it costs to build this attraction. Do One dollar. If you had a guess, just guess. I saw your number, so I, sh- I can't guess. Oh, dang it. Okay. Well. <laughs> I didn't know this, but it actually holds the book of world record for the most expensive roller coaster ever built, and it costs a hundred million dollars. Holy moly! That like that is a lot of money. Does that include the Nepal visit? Hundred million dollars. Oh I don't gosh. know. Like, what was the budget? How did they have this meeting? Like, how much money do you need for this? Yes. Ooh, okay. They didn't have to make the track in the shape of a Mickey. They could have not done that and saved maybe a million bucks or something. All right, so it costs $100 million. Yes, insane. Um, the ride duration is 2 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, the height requirement for it is 44 inches. Uh, there are two audio animatronics. It goes up to 50 miles per hour, has an 80-foot drop. The mountaintop is 
199.5 feet tall. It's the tallest at Disney, beating Tower of Terror by six inches, I think it is. The construction of Expedition Everest was a laborious task for Disney. Imagineers went through 24 different designs before finally settling on a model. I'm kind of curious to see what the other designs were. I know, were. right? I want to see that. Um, after they finally chose the design, they created a six-foot model, which was then uploaded to a computer. At this stage, Imagineers, uh, they could tinker with the track design before construction um, on the track, like, actually beginning. They were playing roller coaster Tycoon in the back Basically, there? Basically, it's just crazy that they take, like, this model and then they computerize it and they can make different things that are actually going to be built. Um, Everest is made up of three different foundations. So the track, the mountain, and then the Yeti. Those are all differently supported separate, like, things. Okay. So it's kind of cool if you think about it, think about that. Um, during the construction of the track, Disney used 25,000 pieces of steel, which together weighed um, 1,800 tons. Whew. Yeah. To create the mountain itself, they used 18.7 million pounds of concrete and 2,000 gallons of paint were used. I think that's crazy. Uh, this is also the first Disney roller coaster to go forward and backward in motion on a single ride. Ooh, it won't be the only one. But no it spoilers. Is. No. That's right. No spoilers. Um. So we're going to talk about the Yeti because this is kind of under how it's changed. But the Yeti is like, if, if you don't know, it's been a big like focal point of the ride for a long time. The Yeti in Exhibition Everest, it hasn't operated in A mode since mid uh, 2009. So it has A mode and B mode. While in A mode, the Yeti's arm lunges out at guests as their train speeds by. So due to a crack in the creature's support structure, however, Disney had to turn the movement effects off. So now it sits in B mode, which is what they call it. Um, the B-Mode Yeti, it doesn't move. However, they put a strobe light on it to kind of give it more effects to give the illusion that it's moving. Yes. Um, so it's kind of been given the name Disco Yeti by by a lot of people because it's just the Yeti with a disco light on it. And they're not giving uh, them that nickname lovingly. A lot of people still people to this are, day yeah. tweet at Joe Rody, even during yeah. this quarantine. Like, hey, now you have time to go fix the Yeti because people yeah. are rude and, and, and ignorant. And wasn't it, it was either last year or the year before at D23 where he did make a comment that like, I mean, he basically was just saying at some point in my career, I'm going to fix it. Yes. Like, I think obviously we need, they've got to figure out what kind of technology that they can use to fix it because I mean, it is huge. So let me give you the technical details on the Yeti. Yeah. He's almost 25 feet tall. He weighs 20,000 pounds. Um, while operating in A mode, he could move five feet horizontally and two feet vertically. So think about this large thing moving that much. Um, and he has more thrust than a 747 jetliner. Oh my gosh, I'd put that on my Tinder profile. Like, like more the, thrust than a 747 well, jetliner. I know. Well, like in the hydraulics, basically, yes. that's how much like pressure that they it's have needed. to put for, yeah. for him to move. Um, his skin measures 1,000 square feet. Whew. They use a hundred. Sorry, they use 1,000 snaps and 250 zippers to keep the skin in place. Oh my gosh, he has 19 different axes of motion and moving parts. The Yeti's fur was made up of 6,000 pounds of different furs, which were woven together. Oh, my God. Which I hope that's not real fur because get, ready, sure for the red, get ready for the red paint. I'm sure it's um, not. Wait, before we move on from the Yeti, can I share something yeah. with you? Because I use a book for like to do the basis yeah. for a lot of the, the things when we do our deep dive. It's called the name of the book is The Hidden Magic of Walt Disney World, Over 600 Secrets of All the Parks. Fine. Secrets. But on the chapter for... The at the Asia section of Animal Kingdom, yeah. obviously they talk about Everest, but this is the fascinating fact. Can I please read this to you? Do it. Fascinating fact. Let's yes. go. The Yeti is a temperamental beast prone to refusing to act his part at times. Rather than giving him a day off or a long lunch break, the attraction attendants deal with his refusal to move in a creative way. Are you all reading between the lines here? Yeah. They don't shut the ride down. They just turn on a strobe light and blow a fan over his fur when the Yeti stops working, which makes him look as if he's moving. So they're trying to tell us. They're spoon feeding us a big pile of horse crap that yeah. says that uh, we're supposed to believe that he's just temperamental and a teenager, basically, right. and he doesn't want to work. I'm now, all for st I'm all for like storylining things like this, but please don't. Yeah. I'm not that dumb, guys. Come on. I'm trying to remember. I want to say I did get to ride it before they shut it off before yeah. they had to move it i remember it and there's videos like that show you what that inner part of the mountain and stuff look like like the structure of what it's on yeah and it's just like they literally would have to tear the whole thing apart to yes. try to change that one thing it's not an easy fix um but i will say when we did the moonlight magic mm -hmm. event with you or whatever it was at animal kingdom and we did everest like 
it was terrifying just with the strobe light. Yeah. Because it was so dark. There was no, like, it's dark in the cave, but you can still kind of see the outside light comes in at certain parts, right? Well, at nighttime, it's it's super dark. Like, there is no light coming in from anything. And so it actually really does look like he's moving in that strobe light yeah. at that time. So I was like, people need to do this at night. Like, yes. it really does look with the wind and the way that they do the strobe light at nighttime. It's insane. Now, I know that's very rare that you can do it at nighttime. Um, I mean, I guess maybe in the wintertime because the parks like the it gets dark around earlier. Yeah. I mean, here it's but, still light out at like eight, eight fifteen. I know. But still. Um, so I was like, at that point, it's not that bad. I can't imagine doing it at night with it in a mode mm. like that would be crazy. But anyways, get over the Eddie, y'all. OK, um, <laughs> are you ready for some other cool facts? Yeah, brah. Um, this is like for all you green thumbs out there. 900 bamboo plants, 10 different species of trees, and 110 different species of shrubs were planted for Expedition Everest. Wow. That's a lot of plants. Imagineers used chainsaws, blowtorches, and hammers to age the wood throughout the like the attraction. And since Imagineer Joe Rody spent so much time researching the Yeti, uh, he became known as the Yeti-ologist. <laughs> uh, this is Disney's 18th mountain model attraction. Hmm. And, okay, I didn't know this. And I was like, what? So to celebrate the opening Disney launch, like, they basically threw down these huge backdrops and did a stunt, like a publicity stunt, um, down, like, these huge buildings at Times Square to make it look like Everest. And it had a big Yeti at the top. And then they had a bunch of acrobats perform stunts and stuff, like, hanging off of these buildings. Oh, my gosh. This was February 15th of 2006. It was called Everest in the City. (laughs) And like Mickey was there and stuff. I was like, how did we, how did I miss that? I don't, I don't remember they that. They showed like the, um, the video I was watching showed like footage from it. I was like, what? Oh my gosh. I mean, it, it was like a ginormous thing in Times Square that they did. Holy moly. <laughs> I'm watching, I'm looking at pictures of this and it's on like, I think I says this is the Waldorf building or something. Cause it's a big yeah. W. It's, yeah. it is like, think of a, a, a high tower building. This isn't just like a, a small thing. No, it spans the length of a skyscraper. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Holy. if you were working that day, you'd be like, I'm sorry, what's happening? Yeah. I can't see out my window now. Yes, that's it's blocking windows. That's funny. And what does it say? It had something at the top. What at the top of the... I can't read the, the text because oh, okay. of the way this picture is, but I'm sure I can find a different one. I want to say it was Everest in the Ride city. the mountains, face the oh. legend, Everest, Walt Disney World. Yeah. And then it just says DisneyEverest.com. I guess they figured we'll get some publicity in Times Square. It has to work. I mean, it, you you don't just miss that, you know? Yeah, I feel like pretty much anything Joe Rody is involved with, there's like a lot. Well, yeah, because and he's the yetiologist, so he obviously he's is an expert on this. But I just mean like attractions in general, like anything's like the things that he works on. It's like, oh, OK. Yeah, super detailed. Very detailed. More so like just you're like, I don't I can't even. It's too much. It's too much. It's yeah. Too much, Joe. So speaking of too much detail, let's talk about primeval world. Oh, let's over talk at about it. Uh, what do I call it? Primeval death. Is yes. What I call it. So I, I, the reason <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this one is because it's barely a Disney ride. Okay. Like the, the real, the reality is this is a carnival ride mm-hmm. that could have been dropped in any park and it just happens um, to be or in any fair parking lot. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's 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 a generic fair. ride track. It's a mouse style, you know, like the wild mouse or mouse trap kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, that's technically the type of roller coaster that it is. But we'll get there. Let's talk about what Disney has to say about it officially. Sweep through a series of sudden dips and turns as your time machine spins on its own path. Even though you can see the track. <laughs> Whiz by cartoon dinosaurs hastily preparing for their impending extinction and glimpse a shower of kooky meteors. So I'm glad that the official Disney description includes the dinosaurs preparing for their impending extinction because that's going to come up a little bit later in this deep dive to this attraction. But (laughs) let's do a a brief look into the history of Dinoland because it's going to inform a little bit of how the Primeval World attraction fits into this area. So the very brief version of the Dinoland USA history is that it originally started as a small highway town where some dinosaur bones were discovered in 1947. And the scientists there that discovered them called their friends. They all hung out. They decided to purchase the site and began living there to find more answers about dinosaurs. So it became like a real-life research location. Chester and Hester, two locals from the area, were determined to capitalize on this and converted their gas station into a fossil souvenir shop. They decided to capitalize and try to make a profit off of someone else's work, basically. 
Wow, wonder where they got that idea. I don't know. After the Dino Institute started to offer time travel, that's the dinosaur mm-hmm. rag, formerly countdown to extinction. They have Dino DNA. They do. <laughs> uh, Chester and Hester decided to turn their uh, part of their property into an amusement park, and they called it Chester and Hester Chester and Hester's Dinorama, which oh. features their own version of dinosaur named primeval world so they basically decided to make a cheap version of a time travel that also involves going to a certain point before a meteor hits and we lose dinosaurs they were trying to keep up with the joneses basically yeah so they made a cheap ride and i guess i don't know if that's what led to them choosing this type of ride or the budget you were talking about because maybe other things were just super expensive yeah but it is a cheap ride so it kind of makes sense that it's a carnival ride because this is meant to be like basically a carnival area i mean the track looks very carnivalish yes they uh so it's a it's basically the same concept just their version of it this ride right. opened up in 2002 it is a wild mouse style steel coaster where the car does spin the spinning is not controlled by the rider like it is in like a teacup style ride it has its mm-hmm. own thing you can hear the brakes engaging and disengaging for you to spin on certain parts of the ride but the rider does not have control The number of people and the weight of the vehicle will play a little bit of a part into how fast it spins and how you kind of hit certain turns. Get me started. Yes. But (laughs) you you cannot control the spinning. There are 13 time travel vehicles, which can sit up to four people each. There are two identical coaster tracks, just one mirrored from the other. Mm -hmm. They're exactly a mirror, unlike Space Mountain, which are mostly the same like we talked about in our other coaster one. But these are exact replicas. Yeah. Um, if it's operating as intended, each side can take 700 people per hour, so 1,400 per hour. Not the best, not the worst as far as a ride capacity goes. Right. So um, there are some signs along the track that are obviously what they're talking about in the description where I read earlier that they are cartoon dinosaurs hastily preparing for their impending extinction because there are dinosaurs holding up signs or there'll be a sign next to the dinosaur. And this is what some of those signs say. One of them says, the end is near. And it's like a, a photo, like a, a an image of a meteor, like coming down towards the earth. And the dinosaur has like this look on his face, like it's about to be over, guys. <laughs> there's another one that says, look out. Again, it's another picture of a meteor coming towards earth. And then there's another sign that says, this really extincts. Oh, yes. I remember that one. Oh, my gosh. Roll your eyes at that. One that says, yikes. It's funny to me because, you know, if now, let's say, there were a meteor coming toward Earth, mm-hmm. I was just about to say, would people hang up signs? But you know what? People <laughs> would hang up signs. They would tweet about it. They'd go, they'd make a TikTok about it. So I guess it is pretty, it wound up it being pretty still, realistic. They would still try to make money off of it. They would, yeah. The, the people would come out of the woodwork for that. Um, this has officially been operating seasonally as of the fall of 2019. It closed for a while. I am, here's the thing. I actually know why it closed. I'm not allowed to share that information. So am I a jerk for bringing it up and I'm not talking about it? Probably. Guess what? You'll tell me though off. Sure, I'll do that, which makes us both jerks now. So thank you. But it is is officially operating seasonally. So basically just when it needs to open to handle large crowds um, is is when they do it. Kind of like how some- We got to give you people something to do. Something to do because it, you know, I mean, although 1,400 people an hour- Exactly. I used to love this ride, and I'm not saying I dislike it now. It's just that I, it's the level of spinning that gets me a lot. Yeah. But I used to love it, and I, and there typically wasn't it. a long line, at least yeah. back in the day, maybe when it first came out. Yeah. There are some pretty strong opinions on this attraction out there. I feel like <laughs> just in this brief conversation about it, I know your opinion on it. I, I just feel like it's you're prone to get injured on this thing. You are. And and honestly, it's not enough for me. It's not enough uh, imagineering in the ride. Although if you if you actually pay attention, like there is there is some stuff in the ride. Like it's not devoid of like details. I mean, if you compare it to Everest, it's like why even try? You know what I mean? Well, like they're just too like, Yeah, you get the storyline, but But sorry. It's a cheap version, you know, like it's, it might as well be in a Six Flags, no offense. Since you're up, you've up, you know, Disney ups the game on pretty much everything. It's like, what are we doing here, Disney? Like, it's a clear, we we need something else here. It's a clear corner cut. So I thought I would read to you a negative review that I found on Google. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. About this attraction, which for the most part sums up how I think, I think I feel this is maybe like an extreme version of it, but. Uh, yeah, and I and I think this is how a few people out there feel. 
So is this, you found what I wrote? Yeah, could be. So uh, this is what a review on Google says about this attraction. I'm going to read it verbatim. Aside from the sheer hideous look of the PVC pipes holding this thing together and the absolutely annoying noises you hear in the wait line, the ride itself was awful. I was actually scared for my life. It felt like you were going to fly off at every turn and with no kind of guardrail, it is probably possible. By the way, a little dramatic. You know you're not going to fly off the ride. Okay. Yeah. Back to the quote. The ride is absolute crap and it was both physically painful and mentally didn't make you feel safe at all. And for some reason, I just love this review because they're a little dramatic. And uh, I, I I get it, though. Like that. I, yeah. I don't think I'm going to fly off. But if you're the type of person that doesn't or gets uncomfortable around like an edge of an attraction or heights, there really isn't much out there because the way that the ride vehicle is, the center of the vehicle is what's over the track. So if you're on the two outside seats, you look over and it appears as if there's nothing beneath you, which is yeah. part of the thrill. Yeah. So I, don't, I wouldn't call that a fault of the attraction, but this person feels that way. Um, I was reading, I just went into like this, uh, like a rabbit hole of reviews for this attraction. And <laughs> most of them were like, the negative reviews were pretty much about these topics. But yeah. one um, review talked about how they, in their family, they call this primeval hurl. Yes. Because it makes them want to vomit. Yeah. Or they highlight it, the word evil in primeval. Now, of course, they're not talking about evil like the yeah. devil evil. But this is primeval yeah. referring to that time. Yeah, but Probably still. Evil world. Yes. One of those attractions that you need to have the same size person riding it with you. Yes. Because if there's any kind of gap like between you and this bar that comes down, which if you have shoulders, it's yeah. going to hurt. <laughs> yes. So, um, like if you're on the on the seat, outsides, yeah, yeah, on the outsides, and you have shoulders, it's going to hurt you. I remember bracing. Like I would actually put yeah. my, I would hold yes. on to the bar, put it in between my shoulder and me, and then yeah. I knew when I turned, I would try to push myself out because I didn't like, want to get squashed. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, Doug obviously is more like broad chested than I am. Yeah. And any kind of gap there, it's like, you're, it's going to hurt. And thus concludes our deep dive on the coasters of Walt Disney World until Tron opens in whatever century now that it's been delayed. Right. And, and uh, the Galactic, classic, okay, let's talk Gardens of the Galaxy classic, Cosmic Rewind. Cosmic Rewind. Yes. I wanted to say classic rewind, but it's yeah, it's all the same. I Those can't will wait for open that. shortly. Well, next year is what we hear. We'll have to come do a uh, a follow up on those two I know. coasters. You're like check out the new coasters. Yes. I'm sure we'll cover them. Let's for let's be for real. So good. Well, uh, we're coming up to the end of our episode here, but of course, before yeah. we leave y'all, we got some history and I got my quote coming up. So uh, right. take us back sometime. I'm taking you back to 2016 when the town center section of Disney Springs opened to the public oh. for the first time. The debut of 23 stores and a handful of eateries marked the latest phase in the development of the longstanding Walt Disney World Entertainment Complex. Ooh. Yeah, had an infant. They just wanted to do more stores and restaurants and stuff. So 2016 this week was when the town center section opened. And they got fancy. Yeah, they did. Um, I'll take us back to 1995 when the California Grill restaurant opened on the 15th floor of the Contemporary Resort. Ooh, nice. Filling up the space of the former Top of the World restaurant. Now there's a Top of the World lounge at the top of Bay Lake Tower, the neighboring resort. But is, that where the top of, is that where the cake originated? The friggin' cake, guys, okay? Seven I'm layer cake. very excited, as you might imagine, to get that cake once I can start chewing again after this stuff. But... Very excited about that cake. Can't wait for mm. Bay Lake Tower to reopen. And just peanut butter pie. Oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> I have a feeling the resorts are going to open up before the parks. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm going to be there getting those things as yeah. soon as I possibly can. Did you uh, hear about Shanghai Disney? Like how yeah. they sold their tickets in a minute? Real? Oh, so I didn't they, hear about that. Yeah, so they, you know, they only opened, I think they were told that they could allow 24,000. Yes. Um, which is only a quarter of what they, yeah, they fit like 80,000 or yeah. something. Well, they did even less than that. But Doug said that they literally sold all their tickets within a minute. Yeah, I believe that. After they went um, live. And that opens as of the day this episode is airing. So they're having yeah. their, it's the first Disney park to reopen among all of this. Mm-hmm. I know that people will be watching um, to see how they handle queues and, you know, restaurant space and just basically everything. I mean, it's just, it's such yeah. a crazy I'm- thing. Requiring masks for everybody? Yeah, I would imagine that they are. Yeah. And Disney for Springs, sure. I think, said that they're for sure the workers are having masks, but I, th- I think guests are going to have to wear masks as well. Yeah. Um, to leave you today, I have a quote for you from Bambi <gasps> via oh. Thumper. 
And maybe this is applying to me when I have to get my little oral surgery done because I hate it and it scares Mm -hmm. the actual poop out of me. So this is from Thumper and Bambi. If you're scared, just be scarier than whatever is scaring you. (laughs) Something to think about. We are planning another live episode. Thanks everyone for hanging out with us on those. Yeah, it's, it's it's fun. It is fun, and it's a, a kind of like a work in progress because I feel like we're figuring out what we want to do with them because I I love them and um, I'm always appreciative for people showing up and watching them or watching the replay of it. So keep your eyes peeled for that. If you like what you heard today, feel free to like and subscribe. Head over to whatever platform you use to listen to this and leave a review there. It is helpful. It helps us become more visible in the podcast Mm -hmm. community. And we recognize we have plenty of options of Disney podcasts. We thank you for choosing ours. Yes. Appreciate you guys. Yes. Uh, I think that's it for us. Yeah. We'll see you later this week. And if not, we'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.